podcast. We're here for another week on a Wednesday, albeit I think it's probably coming out to you a little bit late. But welcome. We are looking at the history of the rapture in the early church this week. The history of the rapture in the early church. But before we get there, by way of introduction, we have spent weeks and weeks now discussing the rapture of the church. But many sadly dismiss the doctrine of the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, that is the rapture of the church before the seven-year tribulation, which ends with Jesus' second coming or the, uh, his return and, uh, and then uh, inaugurates, if you will, the, uh, the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Many people dismiss this pre-trib rapture based on historical grounds. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote from a guy named Michael Bird. He says, The pre-trib view did not appear on the scene of church history until J.N. Darby in the 1830s. And so the argument goes that there is no evidence among the early church and the early church fathers of any belief that the rapture of the church would be before the tribulation. And because there's no evidence of any Uh, belief of the rapture being before the tribulation in the early church. Therefore, the pre-tribulational rapture doctrine must be thrown out, must be rejected on historical grounds. In response to this, first of all, I want to say I don't really care. I don't really care whether or not uh, it was taught or known by the early church fathers Truth be told, what I care about is in the Word of God. And if it's in the Word of God, then I don't really care about what sinful, broken, uh, imperfect human beings, albeit from the first century, uh, taught about the doctrine of the rapture. But because it is an argument that is often thrown around, truth be told, it's an argument that's been thrown at me a number of times. Uh, I'm going to show you evidence today of this truth. And I'm going to read you another quote from uh, a historian by the name of William Watson. And I summarize this quote a little bit here. He says, in spite of, uh, in spite of the claims that the pre-tribulational rapture and pre-millennialism, which we'll get into shortly, are of recent origin, so in spite of the claims that they are of recent origin, J.N. Darby, uh, very little of what John Nelson Darby wrote in the mid-19th century was actually new. Very little of what he wrote in the mid-19th century was actually new. Okay, so I'm going to argue that point today. I'm going to argue the point that the early church, in fact, uh, spoke to premillennialism, spoke to pre-tribulation uh, from as early as 90 AD, uh, from as early as the time that John the Apostle was still alive and was writing the, um, the book of Revelation. That's what I'm going to argue today. Throughout history, that that doctrine has been there. And because it's been there, you cannot argue to throw something out on historical grounds that supposedly says that it's a new doctrine and therefore we can't believe it. Well, today I'm going to show you that it's not a new doctrine. It's been there since the 
since the time of the apostles and in fact it's in the word of god but first of all there are so many views and variations and interpretations of eschatology which is just a fancy word of saying uh, the end times or uh, the study of last things or bible prophecy in the in the bible uh, and I'm, and so because of that uh, I'm not sure where your understanding is as to the different terms. So I'm going to generalize and give you the main basic views with the terms attached to them so that as I'm speaking of them and you're listening to the quotes that I'm sharing, you'll have a general understanding of uh, the points that I'm making. Now, ultimately, uh, eschatology uh, is kind of based around this concept of the millennium which is spoken of in Revelation 20, 1 through 10. Truth be told, it's spoken of throughout the Old Testament, but the main uh, New Testament passage is Revelation 20, 1 through 10. Many inter different interpretations of this. The three main interpretations of this passage, that is the future millennial kingdom, where Jesus Christ will rule and reign on earth. Uh, the three main interpretations or views, if I can put it that way, of that is premillennial, or premillennialism, uh, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. Okay, so premillennium, postmillennium, amillennial. Those are the kind of the three general main views in relation to this thousand-year period of time. Now, premillennialism. Now, this view holds that Christ will return to earth to rule from Jerusalem physically over all the nations of the world for a thousand years. After this thousand years is complete, God is going to release Satan because uh, he's been bound for that thousand years. Uh, God will release Satan for a time. Satan will recruit an army, essentially, of people who... Uh, will be deceived by Satan at that point and will battle against the Lord, the final battle, um, before uh, both the judgment of the wicked and Satan takes place, the great white throne of judgment, and the entrance into the eternal state of glory by the righteous. Now, this view is called premillennialism because it places the return of Christ pre before this millennium period. Uh, obviously, note the interpretation is of a literal thousand-year uh, rule and reign of Christ on the earth and Jesus' return coming before that. Post-millennialism uh, is quite different, believes that the millennium is an era and that it's not a, uh, or an age and that it's not a, thousand year, a literal thousand-year period of time. During this era, uh, that they proposed uh, Christ will reign over the earth, not from a literal and earthly throne, but through the gradual increase of the gospel in the world. And after this gradual Christian, uh, Christianization, if I can put it that way, of the world, Christ will return and immediately usher the church into their eternal state after judging the wicked. This is called post-millennialism because by its view, Christ will return after the millennium, which is the era in which we now live, apparently. Now, amillennialism is the third of the major views in relation to the millennium. And this one believes that the kingdom of God was inaugurated at Christ's resurrection, at which point he gained victory over both Satan and the curse. 
Christ is now reigning at the right hand of the Father over his church. After this present age has ended, Christ will return and immediately usher the church into the eternal state after judging the wicked. Now, the term amillennialism is not necessarily entirely accurate because it implies that uh, they completely ignore Revelation 20, which isn't technically accurate. Uh, it's not so much that they ignore it, it's more that they spiritualize it or, or don't interpret it literally. So those are the three main views. For various reasons, uh, I firmly and staunchly believe that uh, you, can't, you cannot hold post-millennialism and amillennialism, amillennialism views. Wow, try saying that five times fast. You can't hold those two views whilst also uh, taking the full counsel of God's word seriously. I believe the only view that you can hold in relation to the covenants of God, in relation to promises to the church, in relation to future wrath that's coming, uh, imminency of the uh, of the rapture, all of all of the evidence in Scripture points to a premillennial view of uh, last days. That is, there will in fact be uh, a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, literally. Uh, so I'm going to set aside the postmillennialism and amillennialism views at this point. Uh, we can discuss that another day or you can ask me about that on another day uh, but I believe those views need to be set aside um, I don't uh, the argument is uh, is we're going to have a different argument about that but at the moment I'm, I'm simply uh, broaching the topic of uh, pre-tribulationalism in the early church fathers and I'm setting that up by speaking to pre-millennialism because pre-millennialism then goes into a group of, uh, you've got a few different views within premillennialism. So within the camp, if you will, uh, of premillennialists, you've then got four uh, main views. And it's crazy that there's so many views because there's only one Bible. And I don't understand that. I can only put it down to the fact that Satan is a deceiver and he doesn't want us to know truth. And uh, sadly, it's very easy to be deceived and we need to be prayerful and discerning. And please don't hear me saying that I know everything and know all, all truth that there is to know because that's rubbish. I don't. Uh, but what we need to try and do is set out to investigate thoroughly what the whole counsel of God's word says and then try and piece those pieces of the puzzle together. And then from there we go, okay, well, which, which of these readings of scripture uh, matches up with these different views or which of, which of the readings of Scripture articulates us to us best what God's plan is for the future. And so within the premillennial camp, we find ourselves uh, looking at the rapture. So all people in premillennial camp believe there's a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus. The difference is the timing of the rapture before the uh, millennium uh, that Jesus will rule and reign. So you've got pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation. This is in relation to the rapture, okay? So I'm not talking about the return. I'm talking about the rapture event separate to the return. Within the premillennial camp, you've got people that believe that all the rapture will come 
pre-tribulation, before the seven years. Some believe that it will come uh, in the middle of the seven years. Some say pre-wrath rapture, which is somewhere between the middle and the end of the tribulation. And then you've got post-tribulation. Um, these are all the different views within premillennialism. Now, another, uh, so that's kind of the definitions that I hope will help frame uh, where we're going today. And I'm running out of time, so I'll, I'll keep this moving. Now, uh, another thing, the early church fathers, I just want to say, they were not perfect. And at times they seemed to hold on to uh, seemingly contradictive or contradicting uh, doctrines uh, from Scripture. Uh, and so in quoting some of these early church fathers, by no means am I affirming or advocating their views broadly, uh, but rather I'm, I'm making the argument that premillennialism and pre-tribulation rapture, if I can put it that way, are by no means a new doctrine. And therefore, um, uh, therefore it can't be argued that we, ha we have to dismiss the pre-trib rapture based on it not being in history. So that's what I'm arguing today. I also want to say that absolutely, uh, as time has passed, uh, the clarity of the doctrine of the pre-tribulational rapture has increased and there's been more content that's been produced in relation to it. Uh, no doubt that that has increased, but that's true for many doctrines in Scripture. It's true for the doctrine of the Trinity. It's true for the doctrine of the total depravity of humanity. It's true for many doctrines that as time has gone on, those doctrines have become more clear and there's been more content available in instruction in relation to those doctrines. Okay, premillennialism in the early church. Here it is. I'm not saying I agree with everything that they are saying, but what I'm saying is premillennialist was taught uh, in the early church and so was the pre-tribulation. So first, premillennialism will look at quotes from three different historians that have done research based on the early church. First one is SCAF, S-C-H-A-F-F, uh, uh, if you're wondering uh, to look it up. He's written something called The History of the Christian Church. And in volume two, page 614, he said this, the most striking point in the eschatology of the anti-Nicene age, which is about 100 to 325 AD, is the prominent chiliasm or chiliasm or mil wow, so many big words, or mil millenarianism or um, the millennium, basically, that is the belief of a visible reign of Christ in glory on earth with the risen saints for a thousand years before the general resurrection and judgment. It was indeed not the doctrine of the church embodied in any creed or form of devotion, but a widely current opinion of distinguished teachers such as Barnabas, Papias, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Methodius and Lactantius. Historians speaking of that time, referring to uh, the premillennialism view or the view of a literal thousand years being a current, a widely current opinion of distinguished teachers of the early church. Edward Gibbon, another historian, wrote a, a text called The History of Christianity in 1916 and pages 141 to 144, there's a section and a quote from there, it says this, the ancient and popular doctrine of the millennium 
was ultimately connected with the second coming of Christ. As the works of creation had been finished in six days, their duration in their present state, it's the present state we're in now, according to a tradition which was attributed to the prophet Elijah, interesting, was fixed to 6,000 years. So according to a tradition, uh, reportedly to Elijah, uh, the duration of the earth in its current state was fixed to 6,000 years, like six days of creation. By the same analogy, it was inferred that this long period of labor and contention, which was now almost elapsed, would be succeeded by a joyful Sabbath of a thousand years, like the seventh, year, uh, seventh day of rest. And that Christ with the triumphant band of the saints would reign upon the earth till the appointed time for the last and general resurrection. The assurance of such a millennium was carefully inculcated by a succession of fathers from Justin Martyr and Irenaeus, who conversed with the immediate disciples of the apostles. Though it might not be universally received, listen to this carefully, it appears to have been the reigning sentiment of the orthodox believers. This is a respected historian speaking of the early church fathers, saying that it appears that this view uh, was the reigning sentiment of the orthodox believers. Jesse Forrest Silver, another uh, respected historian, wrote something called The Lord's Return in 1914. In pages 62 to 64, we see a quote. Uh, Silver says of the apostolic fathers that they expected the return of the Lord in their day. They believed the time was imminent because the Lord had taught them to live in a watchful attitude. And they taught the doctrine of the imminent and pre-millennial return of the Lord. Imminent, which is the underscore, the underpinning of the pre-tribulational rapture, and pre-millennial return, which is, which is speaking of pre-millennialism. Uh, that is a literal thousand-year reign on the earth. Okay, now let's go back to the uh, ancient fathers themselves, the church fathers. Justin Martyr around 100 AD to 165 AD, in his dialogue with Trifo, Trifo, sorry, he said this, there will be a resurrection of the dead and a thousand years in Jerusalem. He also said this, but I and every other completely orthodox Christian feel certain, you know that? Every other completely orthodox Christian feel certain that there will be a resurrection of the flesh followed by a thousand years in the rebuilt, embellished and enlarged city of Jerusalem, as was announced by the prophets Ezekiel, Isaiah and the others. Completely agree. The prophets, the covenants, all prophesied, all spoke to the need for a literal thousand year reign on earth. And this is why I've set aside for today, amillennialism and postmillennialism, because I just believe they're false teaching. So here's Justin Martyr speaking to and affirming premillennialism. Now let's go a little bit deeper within the camp of premillennialists and let's look at uh, the pre-tribulational rapture and, uh, and also the doctrine of imminency which underpins only that view. The doctrine of imminency uh, kind of works at times with the mid-tribulational view, but... Uh, uh, certainly doesn't work with post-tribulational view. But here we are looking at pre-tribulation. Clement of Rome, 
from his first epistle to the Corinthians. He was around 30 to 100 AD. Time of Jesus, time of uh, the apostles. He said this, Of a truth soon and suddenly shall his will be accomplished. As the scriptures also bear witness, saying, Speedily will he come and not tarry, and the Lord shall suddenly come to his temple, even the Holy One, for whom ye look. Sorry, for whom ye look. Notice the doctrine of imminency here. It's going to happen imminently. This is a pre-tribulational view, this doctrine of imminency. We've looked at this together. The epistle of Barnabas, 70 to 130 AD. Again, the time of the apostles. He said this, The day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. It's the doctrine of imminency that he's preaching. Ignatius of Antioch, around 110 AD, said this in relation to Christ's coming. He said, Be watchful possessing a sleepless spirit. Why? Because Jesus could return at any moment. Again, the imminency. Shepherd of Hamas, uh, not to be confused with Hamas at this time. From the second century, vision four of chapter two, uh, says this, you have escaped from great tribulation on account of your faith. And because you did not doubt the presence of such a beast, go therefore and tell the elect of the Lord his mighty deeds. And say to them that this beast is a type of the great tribulation that is coming. If then ye prepare yourselves and repent with all your heart and turn to the law, it will be possible for you to escape it. To escape what? The great tribulation. Interesting. That's a pre-tribulational view there from the second century. The didache, 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 something like that, from 120 to 150 AD says this, Watch for your life's sake. Be ready, for ye know not the hour in which the Lord cometh. It's imminency. Let grave come, and let this world pass away. Maranatha, meaning our Lord come. Amen. Again, the doctrine of imminency in the second century. Irenaeus, who is a disciple of Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John the Baptist. And Polycarp, us, not John the Baptist, uh, disciple of the Apostle John, and Polycarp was the pastor in the church of Smyrna at the time that John wrote the book of Revelation. Arrhenius, in his uh, written works against heresy, says when, and, and in the context once, that is once, in the end the church shall be suddenly caught up from this, it is said, there then shall be the tribulation. So once the church is caught up, then there shall be tribulation, is what he says there in the original language. Then we've got the Cyprian from around 200 to 258 AD. In his work called the Treatise of Cyprian, he wrote this. This is fascinating. We who see that terrible things have begun, and we certainly see that now as well, and, and know that still more terrible things are imminent, may regard it as the greatest advantage to depart from it as quickly as possible. Do you not give thank, uh, God thanks? Do you not congratulate yourself that by an early departure you are taken away and delivered from the shipwrecks and disasters that are imminent? Let us greet the day which assigns each of us to his own home, which snatches us hence and sets us free from the snares of the world and restores us to paradise and the kingdom. 
Notice the early departure. You were taken away. Hippolytus, a disciple of Irenaeus in the second century, also speaks to this. Justin Martyr, with, in his dialogue with Trifo, I mentioned him before, he speaks more in detail in relation to the pre-trib. Ephraim, the Syrian, now in, in uh, the fourth century, 306 to 373 AD, he was a writer for the Eastern Church. And in, uh, in his sermons from an extract um, uh, that's been translated into, an, into English, we get this. We ought to understand thoroughly, therefore, my brothers, what is imminent and prepare ourselves for the meeting of the Lord Jesus Christ. See to it that this sentence be not fulfilled among you of the prophets who declare woe to those who desire to see the day of the Lord. That's the great tribulation. For all the saints and elect of God are gathered prior to the tribulation that is to come and are taken to the Lord lest they see the confusion that is to overwhelm the world because of our sins. This is written in the 300s AD. That's a long time before 1830 in John Darby. He also says this, Blessed is he who unceasingly remembers the fear of Gehenna and hastens to sincerely repent, for he shall be delivered from the great tribulation. And again, he says, The righteous shall be seized up in the clouds to meet him, while those who are lazy and timid like me shall remain on earth trembling. That's interesting that he speaks of himself in that way. He also says, again, when we see the saints in glory flying off in light in the clouds of the air to meet Christ, the King of glory, but see ourselves in the great tribulation, who shall be able to bear that shame and terrible reproach? He also says, take us out from the coming fear and count us worthy of that rapture when the righteous are raptured in the clouds to the air to meet the King of glory. Wow. The pre-trib rapture spoken of there in the 4th century. Another work called The History of Brother Dulcino, uh, who in the 1300s, uh, there was written in Latin in the 1300s about Brother Dulcino. This guy led a group known as the Apostolic Brethren in northern Italy. It says this of him. Uh, it explains that he and his followers would be transferred into paradise and preserved unharmed from the Antichrist and later descend back to the earth. It sounds an awful lot like the pre-trib rapture. It's also understand that the following people throughout history all separate the rapture event from the return of Christ, implying what is now referred to as the pre-tribulational rapture. Thomas Drax in 1618, Joseph Mead in 1627, Robert Matson in 1642, I'll read something from him, emphasized in his written works that the rapture of the living and the resurrection of the dead with the ungodly left behind to experience the wrath of God would take place before Christ's coming with his saints to rule on earth. He referred to the rapture as the time when the elect meets the Lord in the air at a separate time to the return. John Archer, 1642, Ephraim Hewitt, the founder of the First Church in Connecticut in 1639, Elizabeth Avery, 1647, Nathaniel Holmes, 1599 to 1692 is when he lived. Guys, final quote. 
Heinsohn and Hitchcock says this, in light of all of this evidence that I've shared with you now and so much more that's available in relation to the early church fathers, it can no longer be said that the basic concept of the pre-tribulational rapture was unknown before J.N. Darby. In fact, it had already been around for centuries since the time of Christ and the apostles. Therefore, the argument that there is no evidence among the early church of a pre-tribulational rapture, and therefore that this view of the rapture must be rejected on historical grounds, this argument is just plain false. It's not true. As you look through history and scour the early church father writings, it's just not true. Premillennialism and pre-tribulation is there from the time of the apostles. And so we can put away this so-called historical rebuttal, if you will, uh, to the pre-trib rapture and simply get back to, well, what does the word of God say? Let's not use that argument about early church fathers anymore. It's not true. It's not accurate. So let's look at what the word of God says. And as we have been showing you over the last few months, with many lines of biblical evidence, the Bible clearly teaches us that the rapture of the church is imminent. It can happen at any moment that Jesus Christ will meet his bride in the air before the seven year tribulation period where God is going to pour out his wrath upon the earth. And at the end of this time, Jesus will return to the earth with his saints, that's you and me, to set up his millennial kingdom, his thousand year rule and reign on earth, where we will rule and reign on earth with him. This is what the Bible teaches us. Guys, thank you so much for joining our Prophecy Times podcast for another week. Next week is going to be our last week as we look at the doctrine of the rapture. Uh, We're going to look at a summary of all the reasons why, just a a snapshot of all the reasons why I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, why I believe that the Bible teaches a pre-tribulational rapture. That's next week and that's going to be our last uh, podcast, if you will, on uh, the doctrine of the rapture. Really looking forward to seeing you next week. Much love. God bless.